morning, everyone. Good morning. Come back to the study of the Christian spirit. Those who are joining us is the context in which Galatians 5.22 and 23, Galatians 5.16 to 26 is given because it's very easy to take two verses and disregard the context in which they are found. So this uh, section of scripture, uh, the book of Galatians, we saw that contextually, the context of Galatians chapter 5 is one that Paul, the apostle, is dealing with the heresy that the Judaizers, that the Jews were trying to bring upon Christians. And basically the heresy was for you to truly be saved for you to truly be a Christian, you need Jesus Christ plus the law. So they were basically selling legalism to, to the new believers. They were selling legalism to them. But Paul says, no, you are free in Christ. You've been freed by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So he's telling the churches in Galatia, don't, don't become slaves to legalism. You're free. Now, in a context where you're being told you're free, you are no longer under the law, it's very easy to swing to libertinism 
or as we said, license, or as we also said, self-indulgence. So while connecting this extreme, it's easy to fall off on this extreme. And so Paul says, no, the fruit of the Spirit is not one that causes you to sin, to sin against God, to sin against your neighbor. It is not a work of the flesh. It leads you to holiness. It leads you to a place where you serve God, you serve neighbor, and you have a proper relationship with yourself. So that's the context as we saw last Sunday. Secondly, again, we are recapping for the sake of those who are joining us for this first time because they were in the Distinctive Doctrines class. Secondly, we saw that the fruit of the Spirit ultimately is Christ-likeness. If you are walking in the fruit of the Spirit, then you are walking in Christ-likeness. If you want to know what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, then you look at Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 19, Paul is saying that he is laboring. He is in anguish, the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in the Galatians. He wants Christ formed in the Galatians, Galatians 4, verse 19. And so the fruit of the Spirit, we see is in that context, it is Christ-likeness. Any other thing we saw? The fruit of the Spirit? Yes. It's connected. Oh. Sorry, sorry for the felt pen. I won't try it with it anymore. It's connected. What do we mean by it's connected? We remember the verb used is singular, the fruit of the Spirit, and before the nine graces are described, the word used is is. And it's not the fruits of the Spirit, it is the fruit of the Spirit. So it's connected. And that compared to chapter 5, verse 19, the works of the flesh. So the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. So it is, it is connected. The other aspect of it would be the fruit of the Spirit is comprehensive, isn't it? It is comprehensive. And by the way, before we go to comprehensive, the connectedness of the fruit of the Spirit means that you cannot pick one and say, I don't want the others. I have everything to do with joy, but these things of patience, self-control, those, those, are, those are not things I participate in. No, if you get one, if you commit to one, you go for all of them. So it is connected. Uh, and then we also say it is comprehensive. Comprehensive in the sense that the fruit of the Spirit 
touches on all of life. In fact, we say it's like the first three deal with your relationship with God, love, joy, peace. Those are very upward, not, not exclusively upward, but essentially upward. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness is very manward, not, not only manward, but hugely in your relationship with fellow man. And then the last three, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, are essentially inward. So it deals with how you relate with God, how you relate with your neighbor, and how you relate to yourself. The fruit of the Spirit is connected, and it is comprehensive. Okay? <clears throat> what else did we say about the fruit of the Spirit? It is very contrasted with the works of the flesh, okay? It is a, a polar opposite of the works of the flesh. If you look at chapter 5, verse 19, uh, the works of the flesh listed there, I think 14 of them, they are the very opposite of love. They are the very opposite of genuine love in Scripture. Thank you, thank you, Tazy. So if, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is connected, it is comprehensive. It is contrasted with works of the flesh. Oh, sorry, not 419, but 519. So if you look at 519, where the works of the flesh are being spoken about, now the works of the flesh are evident. See how they are opposite the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, that is counterfeit love for the neighbor. That is counterfeit love for the neighbor. It's not genuine love for the neighbor. And then idolatry, sorcery, that is counterfeit love for God. It's trying to have a relationship with God, uh, but it is a counterfeit love for God. And then the next, <coughs> I think, eight are actually the very opposite of love. They are hatred. Uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. That's actually the very opposite of love. It is hatred. And then the final ones, envy, drunkenness, orgies, that is a, a, a counterfeit love for self. A drunkard thinks they love themselves but they are not loving themselves well. It's a counterfeit, it's a fake love. So we saw that the fruit of the Spirit is contrasted with the works of the flesh. We saw something 
about the fruit of the Spirit, which should have actually been number one. I'm sorry we didn't start with it. And that's the issue of the cause, the source, the cradle, the platform upon which the fruit of the Spirit comes from. The very name, the fruit of the Spirit, tells you that it is the work of God in you. So as we go through this series, please realize I'm not calling you to go and work harder. That would be tantamount to us thinking that you can do something to a toothpick. You know, plant it in very fertile soil. And then it begins growing into the original tree from which it came. You will wait and wait and wait. This fruit of the Spirit is a result of the work of the Spirit in our lives. You cannot work hard so that by your own energies, you become loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind. It is something that the Holy Spirit does in your life. The very use of the word fruit sort of paints also a picture of patience. It takes time. It ripens and sweetens with time. Your joy last year as a Christian compared to now should be that there is growth in your joy. Your joy should be sweeter. Your peace should be sweeter. Your patience should be more known. Okay. Uh, it also, the fact that it's called the fruit of the Spirit means that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in relating with the Christian, is committed to abide in you. He is going to remain in you and patiently do so until you produce the fruit. So the cause of the fruit is not that I'm working hard. It's not self-will. We don't produce the fruit of the Spirit because we are go-getters who are determined. So as we get to, particularly those that are dealing with our inward, the relationship with ourselves, like self-control, it's very easy for you to walk out this door saying, I'm going to be more self-controlled. You will not achieve it. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. A mango tree will produce mangoes. It will just, it won't sweat it. It will just produce mangoes because that's in its DNA. A Christian, likewise, will be loving. They'll be joyful. They will be peaceful. They will be patient and kind, gentle, and uh, self-controlled and faithful. It will just happen in various degrees, but it will happen. Now, having said that, we also need to realize that there is a sense in which this fruit is conditioned, requires cultivation. We also saw that last week. Now, when I switch off, switch on the lights, this week has helped in our book club to see that. When I switch on the lights, the lights come on, 
the switch is not the source of the light, isn't it? When I turn on the faucet, the tap, and the water comes out, the tap is not the source of the water. But God has set things in such a way that you position yourself within the principles that he has ordained for you to enjoy what he already is doing in you. So when Zacchaeus climbs the tree, he cannot say, because I've climbed the tree, it is my right for the Lord Jesus Christ to come under my roof. He won't do that. But yet, the Lord has ordained that when we use means of grace as tools that he has given us, those means of grace, the conditions put around the fruit of the Spirit, which we saw clearly there in verse chapter 5, verse 24, and verse 25. So verse 24 deals with mortification of sin. Verse 25 deals with vivification, enlivening, putting on those things that relate to the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with, and have a picture of soldiers marching in the parade. You know, it's, they do eyes right or eyes left, and they are looking left, but the swinging of their hand is still very uniform. The, the moving of their steps is still uniform. The, the sizes of their step is still very uniform. They are keeping in step with one another. So you keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So there is a place for mortification of sin. There is a place for vivification, enlivening, putting on what the Holy Spirit has already granted us. Not because we think that when we switch on the lights, then the switch is the source of the electricity, but because God has established this as a means for us experiencing an expression of ripe and in the superlative, ripe, more ripe, most ripe uh, expressions of the fruit of the Spirit. So that's what we covered last week for the sake of those who are not here. So today I was going to begin looking at the first triad, love, joy, and peace. But let me just entertain any comment or question, very brief if you can, so that particularly for the sake of those who have joined us for the first time, if there is something that I have said which is wrong or which wasn't clear, we can relook at it. Yes, yes, brother. Um, mine is a question. Yes. Uh, I think there was a point last time on cooperation. Yes. Uh, which you've touched. I'm not sure if it's on it. I've touched on it in the cultivation. Yes. And... Uh, now the question was the extent of the Holy Spirit's uh, influence in us in the sense of does he grant the fruits which then empowers the good works done by us mm -hmm. or does he also do the good works himself as maybe mentioned in Philippians 2 
Yes, yes. Work out your your salvation with fear and trembling is a command. That's what you are alluding to. And yet that command is attached to, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So scripture does see cooperation as a thing that is not strange. Whereas the cause of the fruit is no one apart from the Holy Spirit, cooperation, cultivation, and conditions around it is not strange. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And yet, you cannot believe unless you are granted the gift of faith. So scripture doesn't uh, see it strange. It doesn't have it as a strange thing that those two categories can coexist. They are not mutually exclusive. But I think your question could be, what is the order? Uh, <clears throat> what is the order? And that would be sort of in the category of questions like, which comes first, faith or repentance? Okay. And, and we need to think hard and sweat, holy sweat, as we think about these things. Can you repent without faith? And it's God who regenerates you and gives you that gift of faith. And then you repent and you believe and he justifies you. And this because he elected you from before the foundations of the world. And so even in this particular area, the very fact that somebody is cooperating with the Holy Spirit demonstrates that God is at work in their lives. We read in Romans, the flesh profits nothing. And as Martin Luther would aptly put it, nothing does not mean something little. The flesh profits nothing. So if you are desiring godliness, if you are desiring love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it is because there's already a work in your heart causing you to want to be holy. On our own, we cannot be holy. We are dead in our trespasses. And therefore, that also means if you do not desire this, then it could mean that you are not born again. And it is very easy to say, Lord, Lord, and do works, even miracles, we are told in Matthew 7, only to stand before the Lord on the judgment day to be told, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Good question, uh, Arnold. Thank you. So let's then consider today the first triad. Whoa, today's felt pens are interesting. <laughs> Love, joy, peace. Let's consider these first three. 
And let's remember that even though we are separating them, there is a oneness of these graces, the fruit of the Spirit. The verb used there is not are, it is is. They are one, they are connected. They are comprehensive, yes, but they are connected. And we also said last time as we were thinking about connected, is think of these not as several jewels, but as one jewel with several facets, several faces to it. So when you look at this jewel, for the fruit of the Spirit, you'll see love on one face, joy, peace, and so on. Multi, multiple manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit, but then, but then the same fruit. The fruit of the Spirit demonstrates Christ-likeness. It shows a maturing of your relationship with God, a maturing and a, a, a godliness in your relationship with man and in your relationship to self. We need to remember once more, going back to the issue of the cause, what we read in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, that it is his divine power that grants to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So that in verse 4, we are told we are then able to partake of the divine nature. You seeing that God's power, the, the, the terms there is actually past, his divine power has, it's already done, granted to us things that pertain to life and godliness. And through the promises of God, we are able then to become partake us of the divine nature and to escape the corruption, the works of the flesh in chapter 5 verse 19 that is in the world because of sinful desire. And you would notice there in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and 4, after saying those things, then we are called to cooperation. Do you notice that in verse 5? Based on this reality of what has already happened, Scripture now calls us to cooperate with God. Are you seeing for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and it goes on. But the basis of us working hard is because God has already done a work for us and in us, and now he's going to do a work through us. These virtues are not self-generated graces. This is not cultural niceties, so that because you are cultured, you are then patient at the dinner table. That's, that's not what we are dealing with here. 
that you have learned fine dining and so you are patient and you are not throwing your hand over everyone's food to get to the salt. That's, that's not what we are dealing with here. This is not cultural niceties. This is not self-generated. They are the product of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is an inside-out expression of the Spirit-led life. The focus of the fruit of the Spirit is not primarily what the Christian does or does not do, but what the Christian is. This is who the Christian is. The fruit of the Spirit is what we are. It is unnatural. It is an unrehearsed expression of who we are. Wake us up at 1 a.m., and if you are a Christian, even at 1 a.m., you are these things. Put me under pressure, and even in that context where I am under pressure, I am these things. Put me in a situation where I'm experiencing pleasure, the opposite of pressure. Then even in that situation of pleasure, I am these things. The focus of the fruit is who we are. In fact, in a unique way, a Christian has no choice in bearing the fruit of the Spirit. It is just natural for the Spirit-led individual to do, be these things, to be loving, to be joyful, to be peaceful, to be kind and good and gentle and self-controlled. Yes, with varying degrees, basing on how you are cooperating, perhaps based on how much you are in the Word, how long you have been in the faith, and such things. It's just as it would be for a mango tree to produce mangoes. So a Christian will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Only those who are in Christ can produce the fruit of the Spirit. In John chapter 15, the Lord puts conditions to bearing the fruit. In chapter 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So the condition for fruitfulness is abiding in Christ. Don't think that you'll set a New Year resolution to be self-controlled and on your own, you get it and together get all the other fruit. You won't. You won't. You are arranging seats in the Titanic. It's going down. Don't waste time. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Abide in him. The condition for bearing fruit is abiding in Christ. And why is bearing fruit important? Every branch that does not bear fruit, what happens to it? It's chopped off, thrown into the fire. So this is a life or death thing. This is not something that is a proposition for the spirit chaps here who want, who want to be the top in the church. This is not just for pastors. This is for everyone. And in a society where gifts is what we make, we make a we we give prominence 
and then we push the fruit to obscurity, we need to remember that, uh, that this is an important thing. So we abide in the Lord. In fact, in verse 5 of John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, it doesn't say you can do some things. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's then think about love. Love. Agape. This queen of a Christian graces tops the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love is fundamental to everything that is good, to everything that is virtuous. Love is not merely a first among equals, but the very life and character of God. And it expresses itself in our life through the rest of the Christian graces listed here. There is a sense in which joy is the exhilaration of love, the felicity of love. Peace is the tranquility, the serenity of love. Patience is the calmness, the composure of love. Kindness is the magnanimity, the generosity of love. Sorry. <laughs> Goodness is the generosity of love. Faithfulness is the integrity of love. Gentleness, we can say, is the gentility of love. Self-control is the discipline of love. So love sits at the top, but it also influences the other graces. Look at John 14, verse 15. And I will indulge you here a bit. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Arnold asked us a question of order. Okay? So does this verse mean, if you keep God's commandments, you will love him? Or if you love him, you will keep his commandments? Which one is the result of what? What's at the root and what is the fruit? Because we read it at times and we mix those two up. So there is a condition if, okay, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So what do you do if you want to keep the commandments? Do you strive to go and just keep the commandments? No, you love Christ. If you love Christ, it will be natural to keep the commandments. Somebody who loves Christ keeps the commandments. And in the context we are told there, if you keep the commandments, 
then it is a condition for abiding in Christ. That's dealt with in chapter 15. John 15, we are told in keeping the commandments, we Verse 10 of John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So we know that for you to produce fruit is an important thing. It is a life or death proposition. And for you to produce fruit, the thing that comes before fruit is abiding, isn't it? And the thing that comes before abiding is keeping commandments. And the thing that comes before keeping commandments is John 14, 15, what, what causes us to keep the commandments? Loving. Are you seeing it's, it's opposite what people think? People think that they will keep the commandments and therefore they will love God. But it's the other way, friends. You love God you keep his commandments, you abide in him, you bear fruit. So what comes before loving? Is there something that should come before loving? I'll tell you there is. The Lord Jesus Christ prays for us. In John 17, and if you are a Christian, and I'm going to deal with this a bit more during the Lord's Supper, if you are a Christian, you need to ask yourself, am I being an answer to the prayer of the Lord, the prayer he made in John 17? John 17, verse 26, he says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Why? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So knowing God produces a love for God. A love for God produces the capacity to keep the commandments. Keeping the commandments is a condition for abiding. And abiding puts you at a place where, yes, God will prune you every branch that is in me, that bears fruit, the Father prunes, but you will bear fruit, much fruit. Any question, even correction? So let's not have that cycle the opposite way. I want to know God, therefore, yes, yes, my, yes, sorry. <laughs> Okay, okay. So we usually think, I want to know God, therefore I'm going to bear fruit so that I know God. That's putting the cast, the cart before the horse. It should be, I want to have communion with God, a deep relationship with God, to know him. And you pray, oh Lord Jesus Christ, you of omnipotent compassion, have prayed in John 17, 26, that I may know the Father. You realize it's the Father we are knowing there. I have made known to them 
your name. There is a tendency at times in Christendom to think that the Father is not interested in our salvation. As if Jesus on the cross is pleading with the Father to love you. The cross is an expression of love. Yes, there is redemption taking place. There is atonement taking place. There is propitiation taking place. God's wrath is being expiated and all those things. But we need to realize that before the foundations of the world, God thought of you, dear saint. He thought of you before the foundations of the world. And when he thought of you, he chose you. Before he created anything, he chose you. Ephesians 1, verse 4. And decided that he would set you apart to himself. He would make you holy and blameless. Blameless not according to human standard, but according to his standard. And then he waited for years, for thousands of years, for you to show up in the sea. And then he took your hand in his dear saint. Do you think he will walk away from you? Do you think he chose you because you are so good? Was there anything you had done before the foundations of the world? Who was there to vote for you, to be loved by him? So get to know God, and you will grow in love. Bible is a fascinating encyclopedia of love. A number of Greek words, when translated, land into the English as love. Uh, whether we are talking agape or phileo or other such loves, eros. All these forms of love originate with God. And so we are not saying agape originates from God and phileo does not originate from God. In the scriptures, they are all there. Older women are to teach younger women how they may phileo their husbands, how they may be friends with their husbands. That's the, 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 the love there. So all these loves, all the forms of loves originate with God, who is love, who is the giver of love, but they are distinct. Agape is at a higher level. The love that Paul is talking about here is at a higher level. It embodies aspects of filial love and infinitely more. Agape is the word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, when he talks about, and I will show you a more excellent way. This is the love of choice. This is not just emotional affection. This is not just physical attraction. This is not just familial bond. What we have here in this fruit of love is something that fulcrums on respect, devotion, affection that leads to willing 
self-sacrificing service. And God is its source. God originates love. He is the exclusive source of biblical love. In fact, in 1 John 4, 8, the apostle of love says that God is love. Love is not a human invention. It's God's idea, it's God's creation. The apostle again says in very categorical terms in 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. Do you again see the solution? For you to love, please know God. Don't just walk out of these doors and say, I'm going to love. That's not where the solution is. The solution is, I need to know God. I need to be an answer to the prayer made by the Lord in John 17, verse 26. Making the Father known to us. And before this, the apostle had said in 1 John 4, 7, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Again, do you see that? If you don't love, you don't know God. If you love, 1 John 4, 7, been born of God and you know God. The fruit of the Spirit is not an ordinary human emotion. It is God-given. The more we are transformed into God's likeness, the more we will display the fruit of love and vice versa. Sorry, and not vice versa. So the more we are transformed into the likeness of God, the more we will display the fruit of love. It is not that the more we display the fruit of love, the more we will be transformed into the likeness of God. Please think about that, because that requires some thinking. The more we are transformed into the likeness of God, the more we will express love. There is a tendency for us to think it's the other way around, that the more we express love, the more we will be transformed into God's likeness. It is God who is the source. And so when we are talking about the fruit of the Spirit, as you leave these doors today, if you want to grow in this fruit, ask yourself, am I having communion with God? Am I having communion with God? That's, that's where it is. Am I in the Lord Jesus Christ? 1 John 4, 4, that we are reading right now, verse 15, who tell us, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Okay, so what is to confess? Because it looks like a lot is swinging on that term to confess. It says, this is open to everyone, boy, girl, Young, old, rich, poor, whoever you are, 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So something very big is swinging on this confession. Now, confession there, the word homologeo, you are hearing some words that you, you hear, you know, homologeo, to say the same thing as. Okay, so you are saying the same thing that God would say concerning Christ. You agree with God concerning who Christ is, what he has done, what you should do as a result of what Christ has done and who he is. Whoever does that, whoever says the same thing concerning Christ in word and deed as the Father does, the Son of God abides in him. God abides in him, and he is abiding in God. So you need to ask yourself, what does God say about the Son? What does the Father say about the Son? Are you on the same page with the Father concerning what he says concerning the Son? Later on in chapter 5, he says, if you refuse to say what the Father is saying about the Son, you make God a liar. That's a serious thing. To go to God and tell God that what you are saying is a lie is a very scary thing to do. You need to tremble with the thought of that. This is the God who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Yet when it comes to lying, with all the power he has, we are told he cannot lie. We are not told he does not lie. Does not would mean he might. He could occasionally stumble into it. Cannot means, even if he tries, he cannot. So what does the Father say concerning the Son? Are you on the same page? Are you doing what is described here as home, same? Logos, Logeo, saying the same thing as he does. John tells us that as we get to know God, we will love him because we realize first loved us. Ours would be a reciprocal love. Be in the book. Go into the Bible, not because you want to tick a checkbox. I've done my morning devotion. I, when, when, when I meet with brethren, when Pastor Eric asks me, how is your Bible study? I'll be able to say, ah, this was a good week. I'll be able to sit at the Lord's Supper with a square shoulder and neck raised high because my devotions this week were okay. No, that's not your goal in private devotions. As you exercise the means of grace, whether it's giving your ear to God in his word, or having God's ear in your prayers, or being with God's people as you've come here, the goal is not just to tick a checkbox that today I've gone to church. That's, that's not, what kind of goal is that? Your goal is, I'm going to church 
to meet with the God who has loved me. The God who has said that, that we are beloved. I am my beloved's and he is mine. I'm going for a date. And you're happy, you're excited about it. Some of us come to church and we behave as if there is a reference check being done on us. And we want to give forth our best uh, sort of facade so that the certificate of good conduct, when it is presented before God, would say, yes, he's acceptable. So our children never see a smile in church. But when is the last time they saw you happy, excited, joyful in church? You're coming to meet the God who loved you before the foundations of the world. Surely, whether you're studying the word, whether you are praying to him, when you're praying, you brag upon him. You want to tell God, God, let me tell you who you are. Brag on him. That's what hallelujah is. You brag on God. Tell him you're holy and you're omnipotent. And in all these attributes and excellencies that he has. Are you gripped by the love of God? Paul is gripped by the love of God in Galatians 2.20 as he talks about the God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The Apostle John, in 1 John 3.1, is amazed at the love of God. He's an old man. I'm of the school of thought that the Apostle Paul wrote his, wrote his books towards the end of his life. I know there are those who say they were written early. But if these books are indeed written at the end of the apostles' life, the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation, when he says in 1 John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. This is not a new believer. This is somebody who was born again many years ago. Let's say half a century ago. And in fact, he can remember some facts about the relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ had with him. He's writing John 21, and he remembers, we caught 153 fish. 100, what kind of number is that? It's not even a round figure. But the impact of the love of Christ is such that several decades later, the apostle is still singing, Amazing grace with a sense of amazement. We ought to return amazement into amazing grace. We ought to stop yawning as we sing amazing grace. God has loved us. God has so loved us. And therefore, we love him back. This is high love. It is unattainable apart from God working it in us by the Holy Spirit. And so as we've read from John 17, 26, I read again, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known 
that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. There in First John again, chapter 4, verse 16 to 19, we are given several reasons why we love. Those who abide in Christ have the fruit of love for these reasons. John, First John chapter 4, verse 16, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So we have come, first reason given there in verse 16, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. We have come to know and believe the love of God. The second reason given in verse 17 and 18 is we know we are safe in our dealings with God. Verse 17 and 18 says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So the Christian has come to know the love of God. The Christian has also come to a place where they know they can have safe dealings with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Friends, the opposite of this fruit of love is fear. We may think it is the works of hate, but I think principally it would be the fear of having dealings with God. A perfect love casts out fear. And verse 19 would tell us, our love, this love, is a response. It is reciprocating. Verse 19 says, of 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. So our love is a response to the love that we have already received from God. So this fruit of love, dear friends, is going to find expression in how you deal with others. But that's not the primary thing we should deal with. This love calls us to look at how we relate with God. As you leave these doors, yes, there is a place for you to ask yourself, am I keeping the call of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 13 to love the brethren? A new commandment I give unto you as I have loved you, love one another. There is a place for that. There is a place for us to realize that if we do not love fellow man whom we can see, we cannot say we love God whom we have never seen. Okay? There is a place for that. But that is a fruit of loving God. You remember John chapter 14 where we read, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the command to love your neighbor, if you want to keep that, start first of all with loving God. And for you to love God, what should you know? Should you do? You should know God. Know God. I know I've moved slowly, but uh, I think it is important that we deal with these things.
Let us imitate the Lord Jesus Christ here in this area. Ephesians 5 verse 1 and 2 calls us to be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as children who are loved and walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So look at Christ and tell him, oh Lord, help me to put my footsteps where yours have been planted. To walk with him, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Our cooperation will involve mortifying the deeds of flesh that would hinder us from doing what in this particular case? What would we be mortifying? Because we also need to think about cooperation. So I want to grow in love. And we've been told in Galatians 5, verse 24, to mortify, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So the deeds of the flesh you are going to target are those ones that hinder you from knowing God. Does that make sense? You want to have a kind of war with those deeds of the flesh that does not take prisoners. You put them to death. Something that comes in between you and knowing God is a thing you don't smile at. If it is your right eye, you will gouge it out. If it is your right hand, precious as it is, let others keep their right hands, you will, you will cut off yours and throw it away. Because I'm not going to have anything stand between me and knowing God. Does that make sense? It might be weights. It might be thing that, a thing that is not necessarily seen. Is it wrong? Is it sinful to watch news on Saturday night? It is not, isn't it? But if that is going to create a situation where on Sunday you are not prepared to come and know God, then you choose, it's okay, I won't be one of the boys, one of the girls. I, I want to know God and therefore I'm going to do away with this. It could be your career. We don't know what it is. But there might be something in your life that is okay with others, but for you it's a roadblock between you and knowing God. And you take no prisoners on that particular issue. That for me is one of the acts, the deeds of the flesh that I do. I want to take seriously my private devotions. Not just because I feel guilty when I don't read, and it's good you feel guilty, but because I want to know God. I don't just want to know about God. I don't want second-hand information about God. I want to have a relationship with Him, a communion with Him. He prays in John chapter 17, verse, is it verse 20 onwards? That we would have a relationship with him, the kind that the triune God has in the Trinity. That's a big thing. That's a prayer there that is, you want to walk around the block and just chew on that. How? How do I have a relationship with God? The kind that he is talking about there is that the Father and the Son had before the foundations of the world. I want that. And when we do that, we will stop squeezing God out of people. 
we have a tendency to look for what only God can give us in fellow human beings and things because we don't have this. We are looking for the next kick and high because we don't have this love. We are trying to squeeze something that can only be found in God out of movies. And you watch a whole series, you Kesha the whole night, and at the end of it, you've been drinking salty water to quench your thirst. You are more thirsty than when you began. If husband, if you're trying to squeeze God out of your wife, the problem could be here. Likewise, wife, if you're trying to squeeze God out of your husband, the problem could be here. Leave off Christ and you will stop idolizing things and human beings. When you see Christ properly, the things of this world will grow pale. They'll grow pale. I've gone on 17 minutes. Do I kindly request that I just stop? And then if there are any questions, I could try and handle them at the start next week. Uh, looks like I'll not be able to do all the nine fruits, the nine expressions of the fruit of the Spirit. So next week, God willing, I'll start on joy and peace. And again, we will see how these relate to our relationship with God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. With the Apostle Paul, we pray, oh, that we may know you. Oh, Lord, that we may know you. Grant that because of the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would leave off a relationship of communing with the triune God. That we would know the Father, that we would know the Son, that we would know the Spirit. And that as a result of this, we would love you. And that real love relationship between us and you would play out in how we love our neighbor. Whether the neighbor who is near and dear to us, or even the neighbor who persecutes us. Oh Lord, we pray that we would be protected from putting the cart before the horse. That we would not seek to keep your commandments, thinking that by that we would love you. Instead, that in growing in our love for you, we would naturally find ourselves, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, delighting in your word. So that when we say, oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation all day long. It won't be pretentious. It would be indeed true that we love your Lord. Please help us to support one another, to stir one another to love and good deeds in the area of growing in our knowledge of God. We pray for those who are here who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help them to stop wasting time. Help them, O oh Lord 
to stop pretending that they are with it. Help them, O oh Lord, not to continue being embarrassed by the fact that if they came forth and said, hey, I want to be born again, they would not look as sophisticated as they want us to think they are. Grant, O oh Lord, that they would repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. We please pray these things in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you. Oh